0: Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowley. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the results of the Tasmanian state election with Tasmanian sophologist Kevin Bonham. Hello, Kevin. Hello. So most of the big picture is now clear. The Liberal Party are the only party in a position to form government and look likely to win 13 seats, which is the same as what they did in 2018. The Liberal Party has suffered a small swing, Labor suffered a slightly bigger swing, and the Greens have gained a small swing towards them. Most of the attention is coming down to the seat of Clark in the Hobart area, where two independents are likely competing for one seat, although there's an outside chance they both could win and deprive the Liberal Party of a majority by uh, only electing one Liberal. Kevin, where is the Count in Clark up to at the moment? We're
1: going through the phase where the um, postal votes are gradually added and also uh, out of electorate votes, sort of called absent votes elsewhere. Uh, So that will happen over over several days and then the uh, preference distribution will start from uh, next Tuesday.
0: How do you see the two independents going compared to the Liberal at the moment?
1: The uh, the independents should gain on preferences. Preferences that are available are coming from uh, Labor, the Greens, and uh, a bunch of uh, minor candidates, uh, some of whom are very left-wing, and so they should gain. But uh, an, an issue for them is that a lot of Labor voters will just vote one to five and, and stop and this will also be the case with the Greens to to a lesser extent. You usually, find about half Labor votes and about a third of the uh, Greens votes uh, exhaust in this way, and that makes it harder for them to uh, to catch up. So the Liberals win unless they're overtaken by both the uh, Independents. At the moment, it looks quite likely that one of the Independents will overtake them, but probably probably not both. And um, on my projection yesterday, I had the Liberals winning by by about eight hundred. So. That may go up a little more with uh, more of the votes to come in the post-count, but we'll have to see. I think it's not going to be callable until the final throws.
0: And part of the reason that those Labor and Greens preferences are so important is that both those parties will elect one candidate but have a surplus on top of that, right? Labor has a, about a third of a quota surplus and the Greens have about a sixth of a quota. That's a decent chunk of vote, almost half a quota between Labor and the Greens It's available for those independents to catch up on the Liberal Party. But if those votes exhaust, if those people have just voted for the candidates in their own party, then that that helps the Liberal Party who are currently leading but probably won't do as well on preferences.
1: Yes, and another, another question is also the... Uh the exhaust, I mean, the leakage within the uh, Liberal ticket. When, whenever uh, our Liberal candidate is, is, is excluded and their preferences distributed, some voters won't stay within the ticket. And so, although the uh, the Liberals seem to be way ahead at the moment, oh, they're on 1.91 quotas, but uh, they're, they're going to lose a bit of that along along the way. And uh, we have a, an interesting contest between uh, Simon Barakas, who's a uh, protege of Eric Betts and Madeline Ogilvy who's the, uh, the the former Labor, former independent uh, member for the seat, uh, are fighting for uh, the probable Liberal seat. And it's very close between the two of them. And it's, it's impossible to say which one is actually going to be the uh, final contender. Uh, depending on which one is the final contender, the preference flows might be
0: somewhat different. So let's zoom out to the whole state. The Liberal Party on the current figures, as I say this, is down 1.2% on 49%, so that's a, that's a very large number. That would probably win you a landslide under the voting system used in other states, but in Tasmania it only gives you a possible line ball majority. Uh, Labor's vote is down 4.4%, which is partly about a big crash in their voting clerk, but they also did lose ground in other seats. And the Greens are up 1.7% to 12%, but that's still a pretty low result for the Greens in terms of their history in Tasmania, do you think any of those parties would be happy with those figures?
1: Um, the government would be relieved if it gets back in with 13 seats, but still it's not not all that they dreamed of. I think that they they dreamt of increasing their majority, which ha- has not occurred. Uh, the Labor result is uh, generally bad. They, they've they got small swings against them in most uh, of, the, of the electorates and a massive swing against them in Clark, and the Clark... They have a really serious problem in Clark. The uh, the, the Clark result is uh, the worst result in an electorate in the party's history, and this is in a uh, an electorate that Duncan Kerr held for them at, f- for, uh, at federal level for 23 years. So uh, they, they have a lot to look at in terms of what has gone wrong. For the Greens, um, the, the vote is... Pretty good in the, I think. Pretty good in in Clark and Franklin, especially Clark, given the given the competition from the Independents. I think they've they've done well. But outside of the South, they're not really doing very well. Uh, they're not really rebuilding their vote that much. So they picked up a bit in Lyons, but really they're just struggling to find good. High-profile candidates who have a sort of cross-party appeal to people who aren't naturally attracted to the party, and I, I, I think also that that they are you know, people listen to Cassio Cona's speech on the night. It, it went for a very long time, and it was um, pretty strident at the and uh, at the end. and uh, And I, I think it's like they need to work on how to uh, appeal to voters outside of the their, their sort of core in the south.
0: I'm noticing a bit of a difference in the results between the southern electorates and the northern electorates. And there's only five electorates, so there's not a very big sample size. And, of course, Lyons is not entirely a northern electorate. It also includes suburbs around Hobart. And maybe Clark's just an exception, so that just leaves the south as just being Franklin. But um, the Liberal vote was pretty solid in the north of the state, right? And in the end, Lyons, Bass, Braddon, which are the most regional at least connected to Hobart, uh, they make up a majority of the seats in the chamber. They, they won nine seats in those three electorates and that that's form, sort of has formed the basis of any kind of majority that they'll win. And likewise, you mentioned the Greens. You know, the Greens are now very solid in Clark and Franklin, but if they're going to win any more seats, they do need to be able to win them in the north of the state.
1: The Liberals. Have slight swings to them in the the three northern seats. So I count lines as a northern seat because although it includes some of the south, it behaves quite similarly to the to to Bass and Braden, just just not quite as strongly for the Liberals. Um, so they've done quite well there. In uh, in Clark is a bit of a special case with the, with the independents and so on, and uh, uh, Sue Hickey has done their uh, vote more damage than I thought that she would, particularly in the, uh, the, the the sort of the rich liberal booths around Lower Sandy Bay and so on. She's, she's bowled very well in those, so attracted some liberal supporters across. Um, Franklin is... Will Hodgman's former seat, so basically the Liberals have lost votes there because Will Hodgman's uh, off the uh, the ticket, so they lose his personal vote. They ran a fairly lacklustre ticket in Franklin, and, and uh, Labor had quite a strong ticket in Franklin despite all the chaos they had. And they had uh, uh, Dean Winter, who's been elected the King mayor. Um, Winter is sort of fairly much the centre of politics by Labor standards and uh, would have appealed to some of the Hodgman voters.
0: I'm working on a bit of a thing where I'm just pulling together all the party totals at each seat for each election and um, you know, Braddon in 1998 uh, the Greens polled 8.1% in Braddon and 13% in Denison, right? And now the gap would be much bigger between Braddon and Denison even though they they, they did get a decent swing towards them in Braddon uh, so like the the gap between their best and their worst areas is widening, and that that is helpful in the mainland, but it's very not helpful in Tasmania.
1: The greens have really fallen in a hole in Britain in the last uh, uh, several. Several years since they they actually held the seats in two thousand and ten, but the the voting of the last few elections, state and federal, has been bad. There, they they are suffering to a degree from uh, competition from uh, Craig Garland, the independent fisherman, who has uh, uh, outpolled them again, and just their message is just just not appealing to voters in Braddon, Basically, it's just, it's as simple as that.
0: They polled twelve percent there in two thousand and two. They uh, they have a have a long history of getting a decent share of the vote up there, but it doesn't doesn't flow through now. So the Hare Clark voting system allows competition not just between parties but also within parties. Are there any particular interesting races to pay attention to, where even if the party count is clear, where there's a contest between members of the same party for a seat?
1: So I mentioned the Barakas versus Ogilvy contest in Clark, but the um the other really interesting one is in Braddon where we have uh uh the former member Adam Brooks who has had a very controversial campaign. He was uh um police indicated that they were going to uh uh summons him on uh, ammunition storage charges. And then we had uh, a matter breaking in the last days of the campaign involving uh, dating profiles and alleged fake IDs and other amazing things. And so uh, he's been very controversial and it's done quite a lot of damage to his vote. But he's he's currently still the uh, second-placed Liberal on primaries after Jeremy Rockliffe. And so we're going to, and uh Housing Minister Roger Gench is well behind um books and felix Ellis and uh Housing minister Roger Jench needs a uh, a big um share of Rockliffe's surplus to pull himself out of that hole. Uh, I'm not sure whether that will happen or not. So we've got this um, very interesting three-way contest for two seats and we've got the prospect of potentially having uh, books back in the parliament which will be uh, an immediate problem for the government if he gets back. Even if he doesn't get back it will be a problem because then if they have any future recounts he'll get back as well.
0: Can we talk about the Legislative Council? This is the first time we've seen a Legislative Council election held on the same day as a lower house election. Two seats were up for election. The third seat, Mercy, was unopposed. Um, My understanding is Derwin is pretty clear. Labor's going to win that, hold that seat. Windermere looks a little bit more interesting. What's your take on Windermere?
1: Windermere is interesting because the Liberal candidate, Nick Dygian, is well ahead, but he's not... That close to fifty percent is on about thirty-seven at the moment. Leading um, Labor's Jeff Lyons who's on about twenty-six, and the independent Will Smith, who's Ivan Dean's anointed successor, is on about twenty. The first question is whether whether Smith can get into second. But to get into second, he needs to beat Lyons by forty percent on preferences of independents that are splitting uh, three ways between independent Labor and Liberal. That to me seems like a tall order. There are are some people around who are saying that it can be done, but I haven't seen any actual exclusionary figures that this is based on. Uh, Even if he gets into second, he still needs 70% of all preferences. That's also not easy, but a lot of the preferences will be coming from Labor, so it's possible that he could get that. In the event that Smith doesn't get into second, then it's just a straight uh, throw between... um, Diagon and uh, Jeff Lyons from Labour. And my understanding there is that, um, that Diagon will win because the preferences will just not split strongly enough between the parties uh, for uh, Lyons to uh, catch him. So Diagon seems to be well-placed on my, my read of it, but there are, some, there are quite a few people who are saying that they think that, that, that he's not going to win. So it will be interesting to see how this does pan out.
0: If Diagon wins, that will be a fourth Liberal in the upper house, I believe, along with five Labor.
1: Yes, that will be five Labor, four Liberal, six Independent, if if Diagon gets up.
0: And the Independents held a majority in the chamber right up until last year's election. So they'll be now down to just six seats. Um, That's a big change on how things used to operate. And uh, it fits with a growing trend as well that the Labor uh, Labor legislative council electorates are all kind of in the south of the state, they're all kind of around the Hobart area, whereas the Liberals have done better in the north. But it also fits a trend as well that we're seeing that the urban seats are becoming more uh, partisan. Windermere is a kind of a semi-urban Launceston fringe electorate as Derwent is a Hobart fringe electorate. Um, do you have any sense of whether we would expect that trend to continue in the next few years or uh, we can't necessarily assume that it'll always be the same?
1: It's going to be interesting to see what happens w- w- with the existing independents uh, going forward. Just it may be that that um, as some of them retire, and um, a fair few of them are getting towards the stage where they might consider that, um, it may well be that as some of them retire, that that those those seats too start getting uh, contested by by parties, and that the parties try to pick off seats once they become vacant. and It's it's interesting that the the trend is partly driven by the Liberal Party taking more of an interest in these contests and starting to run in more of them rather than what used to happen where there used to to be um, candidates who were called independents but who everybody knew uh, voted as Liberals most of the time.
0: You've done some analysis recently and uh, it's been the latest chapter in a long series of posts you've done Looking at the political positioning of the members of the upper house, particularly those independents. And uh, my take on it is there is a kind of centre-left block that has a majority and probably has about a nine to six majority in the upper house. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, so nothing has changed in that regard in this year's election, right? One Labour MLC has been re-elected, one centre-left independent's been re-elected, and a centre-right independent looks like being replaced by a Liberal but could potentially be replaced by a centre right independent.
1: Yes, that's that's. We have to wait to see what happens with with Windermere. Of um, course, the, the best result for the government is of course that they win. And uh, if if they don't win, then their position is going to be weakened. Uh, but yes, at the moment, the uh, the left collectively has a. Uh, uh, a nine-six majority or an eight-six majority on the floor after providing the president, and uh, so the government usually needs to peel off two of the independents uh, from the, the left side to uh, to win a vote, uh, and that's assuming that the two. Somewhat right of centre of, uh, independence uh, vote with them, which doesn't always happen either. So the government has a difficult position in the Legislative Council. They have been assisted in the last year by um, Labour voting with them more often, and I think this was sort of more of a pandemic bipartisan kind of thing that will probably uh, go away and we'll get back to more adversarial voting behaviour soon.
0: One of the factors in this election has been the COVID 19 pandemic. We've seen a super landslide to Labour and WA and a comfortable if slim majority for Labor in Queensland and now we're seeing it'll be a slim majority probably but a reasonably good vote by mainland standards for the Liberal government and it doesn't sound like COVID-19 has been talked about that much as a policy issue but seems to have been a factor in helping the incumbent government. How has Peter Gutwin performed in this election?
1: So there was a a very great amount of focus on, on Peter Gutwin as, as leader during this election. His photo was everywhere and uh, there, were, there were all kinds of media stunts and so on, the, the, the panther tattoos and uh, motor scooters and <laughs> all kinds of other things. Um, but he's performed uh, extremely well in his own right as a candidate. He's recorded 48% of the vote himself which is the, uh, the second highest of all time by a candidate and the highest since the Robertson rotation of ballot papers, which makes the uh, the ballot papers fairer, rather than having one hand on top of the party column all the uh, all the time. So it's, a, it's an exceptional result for Gutwin, and it's kind of it's kind of weird that we we've um, we've got this guy who's polled this enormous personal vote, but we're waiting to uh, make sure that he doesn't have to resign because of the uh, pledges that he made about uh, not governing in minority. He's, he's keep keep saying that if he doesn't get a majority in Clark, he he will quit. So that's that's an interesting thing with the whole pandemic thing I think the important thing to keep in mind here is that this is a seven-year-old liberal government it's the same party as is in power federally and under normal circumstances that the, those two factors combined will cost seats. Uh to to hold level is a great result in the circumstances so that has to be explained by things like either covid or the uh the opposition being a mess and in fact i think that the my sort of formula for federal and state government factors age of the state government and which parties in power federally on that if the liberals do hold even at 13 seats that comes out as a, a big as big an overperformance as occurred in western australia so you have similar factors in Western Australia. You had you had COVID and you had a hopeless opposition. And I think that's that's what we've had here. It's about the same thing.
0: And part of the thing with Herr Clark, right, is that you have to get a very big vote to get a large majority because it's a proportional voting system. Uh, minor parties get elected, so there's less seats available for the major parties. And... A party can bottom out and they'll still win at least five seats, but often closer to 10, right? So I'm not saying Tasmanian Labor has done better. Tasmanian Labor has definitely done better than the WA Liberals did, but the voting system also kind of gives them a base of support to retreat to. And it is hard to fall below that level.
1: Yes, and it looks like Labor will actually be the most overrepresented party in comparison to their, uh, to their vote share. They they look like uh, they're, they're going to win uh, 36% of the seats of uh, a vote that's uh, currently hovering a bit below 30 So, uh, yeah, even if they'd... Even if they crash out really badly, even if they crash out into the low 20s, that probably probably still would have been good for for five seats. So you don't get this kind of West Australian wipeout where a party gets reduced to two seats. That that can't happen in Tasmania.
0: So that's about it for this episode of the Telegram Podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for joining me.
1: Uh, Thanks very much. And I'll be updating the post counts on my website at kevinbottom.blogspot.com.
0: You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. You can now donate to support The Tally Room in Australian dollars or in four other currencies. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Broad for writing the music hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.